0: Welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand Whiskey Bar in downtown Los Angeles, we had the one and only Johnny the Scott Mundell from Beam Suntory in the house. He led us through a habiki deconstruction, so a deconstruction of the most famous Japanese blended whiskey in the world with Johnny as our educator. It was absolutely amazing. He tasted us on the separate parts of the blend which are never usually available as standalone whiskeys it was a great education check it out and remember always drink responsibly
1: Before Pedro is finally ready, I want to apologize that you're late, but you've all been members of the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand for long enough to know this is how we roll.
0: That's not true. We usually start
1: right on time. Really? Yes. You don't normally do
0: two tastings one night. This is a big deal. This is like, it's not unorthodox. Well,
1: well it is unorthodox. It's unorthodox because the last time I did a tasting with you, you tried to put 150 people in it, and (laughs) I brought liquid. I brought liquid for how many? 60. What have I brought tonight? I brought liquid for 60 people. And the only way. I could make sure that Pedro was good to his word because he has memory issues, ladies and gentlemen. He's been educating on whiskey for too long. Pedro, Wethead. Over to you. Where was I? I don't know. Where was I today? I don't know what you've been up to. How's I,
0: life? I taught a yoga class this morning. I substituted. Congratulations. I walked a dog for three and a half miles. Really? Yeah. Well, um, I, I taught a bunch of women downward facing dog.
2: <laughs> nice. Nice. You win this run. It's actually,
0: you
1: not even you know this. It's his 11th anniversary tomorrow. Uh, oh. Wow. wow. Thank you. What wow. Is so what is the legal age of retirement? For, yeah, do we right? have anyone from HR? It's 213 Group HR. What's the legal retirement age? Because at Santori it's very strict. You have to retire at 65. That's, it's non-negotiable. Even if you are the chief blender, you're meant to retire. Now, you can still come into the blending lab every day and work, but you can't be called the chief blender after you reach retirement age. So you end up with, like, the chief blender and then a bunch of older, more experienced guys just roaming around the halls. I, I, I have at least another 20 years <laughs> or around <Yeah>. there.
0: <laughs> we'll make it work. This'll, they're going to put me out to pasture. That just means I get to stay in the bar jackalope as opposed yeah. to the main bar. This Good. is the pasture. This was the pasture. When this they is calculated. the pasture, right? <laughs>
1: How many years has the pasture been going yes. for?
0: Okay, so we're, Evan and I are going to start passing around this first. Now, will you explain okay. what we're doing Yes, Yeah, tonight, so um,
1: this is, I apologize. This is, not, oh, this is not what you maybe expect from a society. No, I, wanted, I want to take you back to what I expect from a society. I expect to be able to make eye contact with every single person. I expect you to be able to ask questions. And I expect to be able to answer those questions, okay? That's what I came here wanting. And then these guys went to Japan, and they got all fruity, and suddenly they're jabbing in cabinet space up there and cabinet space over here. And there was a giant big, like, bowling alley-side cabinet down there. And I bring the chief blender from Centauri to come to a tasting here, and he's, like, talking down this side, and then he's over here and he's talking, and the whole thing is just not working. I'm old school. I remember when this place was a sparse room with a really nice pool table here. Yeah. And I was the first person to say, hey, I can't see everybody's eyes because this bloody big light was hanging right in the middle of the pool. So I lifted it up to the ceiling using this very handy system. Um, This is chain links, okay? It was invented a long time ago. And you can lift these chains and put them up on higher hooks. What that created was a giant halo glowing arena down here where we used to put whiskey. We used to do really good whiskey educations in here. Flash forward, they got fancy, they got educated, they traveled to Japan, and I'm glad to see we're back where we can make eye contact. Pedro has lost his mind, as we covered, when suddenly we were cramming 160 people in a room and inviting presenters to come in 12 hours after they landed from a flight from Scotland, okay? The purpose of the session tonight is to deconstruct Ibiki Japanese harmony. and In order to do that, I am the luckiest ambassador in the whole category of whiskey. I'm one of the two luckiest. We have an East Coast guy as well. I'm given cask samples of the different whiskeys that go into Hibiki. So the first five whiskeys that you're all going to taste tonight are cask strength samples from our three distilleries in Japan. And they are blended together along with other whiskeys. But these are the five that the blenders feel explain the complexity of the styles of whiskeys that go into Hibiki. These whiskies are very, very limited. I'm given a set amount for the year, and I apologize that we can't just do this and pour this. This liquid is incredibly, incredibly precious. And we're very grateful that we get to do this kind of education. But every time I pour these samples, I have to write a long report into who, where, and how many. And it doesn't work if we're just gonna ram the room. So forgive me with the the, the setup. The other thing that doesn't work is just randomly firing glasses out into that 2,000 people. So I wanted you all to have a tasting, mat, And as we're bringing down the glasses, you will each end up with six glasses in front of you. The boys are being very meticulous in how they're presenting those right. Does everybody understand the format of the evening? Does anybody have any questions? Nobody has a single question. Is anybody remotely interested why a Scottish guy is barking at you instead of somebody from Japan?
0: Well, I've got a question. So what makes the Hibiki Blint unique, right? That's... Let's talk about like how in Japan. Hold on. Why
1: don't we see if the room has any questions, and then oh, you can totally absolutely. take yeah. it on that <laughs> interaction. It was just a you're, the, you're gonna go. I was trying okay. to help move the uh, a, but see, the thing was, you jumped in as the room was about to move. Oh you jumped in, and then you smashed the movements. I
0: thought he was asking a very good question.
1: It's a great question, and if it was coming from you, sir, it would be very welcome. <laughs> so the question, sir, that you had was. I, I have a similar
0: question.
1: Could you tell me it then, um, in your own words? Um,
0: if you're trying all these different blends, how did
1: they decide? Which ones? Which which ones to include? Sorry, I'm gonna answer that question tonight, but it's not the first question we should be asking. That's like mid-level, like that's crescendo before we do the grand finale question. Does anybody else have any other questions that I can figure out into what I'm gonna talk about? Not a single question. You queued up in seven grand on a Monday night at five thirty. We're not any one. Thank you, sir. Why is there a Scottish guy barking at us instead of so somebody from Japan? Well, that's a great question. Oh, jeez. That's a great question. <laughs> does anybody have any other questions?
2: What
1: uh, does Hibiki mean? Hibiki means harmony or resonance. There's always multiple meanings, but it's a, a sense of place and harmony within the place. Okay, you're all shy. Does everybody know everybody that's sitting there? I, I distinctly believe it's very unlucky to drink with strangers. So if you don't know everybody within handshaking distance, and I mean like star sign, I mean where they work, I want you to know you've got 30 seconds to find out some pretty complex information about people that you can shake hands with. Go. Bruce,
2: welcome,
1: Bruce. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, social time is over. Look at that. The energy in the room completely changed. Now that you've all developed a minor level of comfort, let me introduce myself. I am Pedro Shanahan's arch nemesis. Oh, my goodness. I am, I am the man who made it his life mission to straighten this boy out oh and God. failed miserably oh and gave up completely. Oh, my. I first set food in this room as a guest at one of the very first seven grand whiskey societies. How many of you were at that? None. Oh, I was... Pedro was there. I was first invaged in doing an event here. Uh, it was for Bowmore. Those of you that may not know, Bowmore has been owned by Santori since the mid-'90s. And I was the West Coast brand ambassador for Bowmore, Ockintoshin, and Glengarry, uh, owned by a small company called Morrison Bowmore Distillers, which was purchased in full by Santori in the mid-'90s. Now, the two people there that taught me about whiskey. the first was a Scotsman. His name was Ian McCallum. Ian was the chief blender for MBD at that time. And Ian taught me about Suntory because he'd been with the company since he was 16 years old. And there isn't anybody in the world more devoted or more in sync with the Japanese mindset than Ian, at least for a Scotsman. Part of that journey introduced me to a gentleman called Mike Miyamoto. Miyamoto Miyamoto-san is the current global ambassador for Suntory Whiskey. And he was the gentleman that taught me most about scotch whiskey. Is the story getting confusing? Miyamoto-san was the production guy that Suntory sent over to understand MBD, to get a handle on it, to find out how Suntory was going to support it, this new business that they purchased. And his first action was to write back to Suntory and say, we have a very difficult situation. The casks are not good enough. And he was the guy that requested millions of dollars to recast lots of Bowmore. Imagine MBD had been for sale for a period of time. Perhaps the wood policy is not in line. It was in line with mid-90s thinking, but it wasn't in line with Suntory thinking at that time. And now I'm happy to say that wood cask and management is a major focus for every single distillery. It's a top priority. I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to sit and drink a glass of Bowmore 18 with Miyamoto-san. And that whiskey today would not taste the way it does if he had not requested the finances to get new casks. Now that Santori didn't do anything to change MBD, but they found the resources to support everything that it could be the best it could possibly be. So his experience learning and understanding Scotch whiskey was absolutely critical to how I approached my whole role. Now I'm a Scotsman who lives in California. I'm married to an American woman, there's a lot of hardship comes with that. Oh. Not because of American women, because the particular woman I married is from Orange County. <laughs> oh my, oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I, it's, just, it's expensive. And it's, it's also, it's difficult, as we would say in Japan. Um, but Miyamoto-san taught me about Japanese whiskey. And three years ago, after being with Suntory for a long time, yeah. I was invited to apply for the Suntory position. Now, I wasn't a given. They knew me, but it wasn't a given I was going to get the role. And I'm happy to tell you they hired me. The first year was really difficult because as uh, an ambassador, your role is to represent the master distiller of your company. Representing with Ian was easy. Now, as much as he was studious and wrote meticulous notes with the smallest handwriting anybody is capable of, he's a scientist. He's also mad when he gets out of the, the distillery laboratory. And it's really easy for a Scotsman to play mad and loud and obnoxious because all Scottish people do that to a point. For a Scottish person to play Japanese is really difficult. And I struggled for the first year because I was trying to like change who I was and my mindset. And after that first year, I realized that there is one tiny chink in the Japanese armor. Would anyone like to say what the flaw with Japanese people is? Nobody's going to say it. Or- Perfectionism, I would say that um, they're humble, building on what you're saying. So who better to brag about them than a Scotsman? So you've got a mildly tempered version of the version you used to get of me on Scotch, now talking about Japanese whiskey. There is no question, ladies and gentlemen today, that is off limits. I encourage you to hold me to task, or if you don't agree with something I'm saying, or question it, please do. This is the forum, this is a safe space. You have entered the hallowed whiskey society of seven grant. This is a place designed to get your questions answered. I want to be clear. I may not be able to answer every question, and somebody in the room may have an opinion that is more valid on a subject than mine. Feel free to engage in conversation. If the conversation gets out of line, I'll squash you. Everyone clear on the rules? Okay. The history of Japanese whiskey dates back to the early 1900s. And I would like to introduce you to a man. In fact, would anyone else like to begin the story? Where does Japanese whiskey start? not you.
0: Scotland.
1: Scotland. With who? Help him out. He owns the bar. The guy who married
0: the...
1: Read read his husband. Anyone here have children? By show of hands? Not enough. Okay. (laughs) For those of you that are one day thinking about not having children, there's a book that you might have been read as an infant called The Little Train That Could. Remember the train that goes... I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. So I want you to go, Masataka, 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 Takasuru! Masataka, 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 Takasuru! It was very difficult for me to learn Japanese names and I've got loads of good kid references on how to do it. Masataka, Takasuru, if you work for the Nika Corporation, is the grandfather of Japanese whiskey. Are there any other characters that you would like to introduce into the folklore of Japanese whiskey? Commodore Perry is the American gentleman that parked gunships off the coast of Japan and created the term gunboat diplomacy. He parked these smoky ships and eventually cajoled the Japanese into opening their borders and doing trade. Masataka Takasuru and Shinjiro Tori, the founder of Suntory, are the first generation of Japanese to grow up with relative freedom, with an outward-looking view. They're very interested in Western culture. Now, Takasuru has been the son of a sake maker, fifth generation, and he's fascinated with the engineering side of making whiskey. Shinjiro Tori is a businessman, very in line with the Scottish blending houses that you would think of, the walkers, the doers, the chevets. These all started as relative constructs similar to a grocery store. They purchased whiskey, they blended it together, and the biggest thing that you can do put a stamp on something at that time and a hope comes back is put your name on it. I'm going to bottle this whiskey that I've constructed according to my own name. It's a pretty righteous stamp of seal of approval. So Shinjiro Tori was blending and trading in fortified wines and by any stretch of the imagination he had made an absolute fortune. Takusuru you're correct, was the gentleman that went to Scotland to study engineering side of making whiskey. And his first approach was to approach distilleries saying, would you train me? And I don't know if any of you have been to Scotland in the early 1900s. I certainly haven't. But I've been there recently. And on walking up the east side of Loch Lomond in 2005, I was overwhelmed to meet somebody from Mexico because I'd never met a Mexican in Scotland before. I'd met Spaniards, but I'd never met a Mexican. And I'd been living in California for the entire of 2004. And I'd become enthralled with Hispanic culture, particularly in Southern California. Mexicans and Scots have three things in common, a love for drinking, a love for family, and the worst set of neighbors any other country has ever had to endure. (laughs) So in meeting this Mexican guy, I was overwhelmed. And I offered him my house, a meal, a lift anywhere, the opportunity to meet my sister, This all came to nothing. But I want you to imagine what it was like for Masataka Takasuru traveling around Scotland in the early 1900s. We are not a forgiving, open people. And if you travel to Scotland with a wish to learn how to make whiskey, it was an arduous task. And he found himself studying at Glasgow University. There he met a young lady. Have any of you heard this story? Okay. What you don't know is he met a young lady, and that young lady invited him back to her house. Still sounding familiar? You know he'll go on to marry a lady. But it wasn't the lady that invited him home. It was the sister of the lady that invited him home <laughs> that he would marry. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty ill treatment of a young lady from Glasgow to be invited home for dinner and then marry that lady's sister. Unforgivable. He finds himself back in Japan after studying at the Longmorn and Long Road Distillery, and he finds himself there immediately without a billet. Now, you're familiar with the Mars Distillery that's been making great whiskeys since... It was 72 Mars reopened, or opened for the first time? 72
0: think, was the first... When first. it was first released, they they built the distillery... I'm
1: going to say... I'm going to grab the Mars bottle while you're thinking yeah. about it. On you go.
0: I want to say they started
1: building the distillery in 69 and released the first whiskey in 72? Okay. Mars were the people that paid for Takasura to go to Scotland. And they took the notebooks that he handed over when he returned. They politely said... Masataka, we're sorry, we're not going to make... They probably didn't say sorry, but they said we're no longer interested in making a distillery, and Takatsura was forced to go back to work as a chemistry teacher. Mars held those books until the 60s when they built their first distillery, and they did them according to his own design, his calculations, the notes that he had written by hand. It's a fascinating story. But Takatsura's dream, at that point, looked pretty dead in the water. There's a big difference between the early 20s and the 60s. Four decades before Mars will have the the guts to step their toe back in the Japanese whiskey revolution. It will already be in full swing by that point. Tory is looking at Scotland as well. And he's drawn up an audacious business plan to build the first distillery in Japan. Now, as we know today, this distillery will be built in 1923 at Yamazaki. Now, as you look at this bottle, you're used to looking at a bottle and saying, hey, there's a bottle of single malt. That's reflective of that distillery. I am not going to use the term Yamazaki distillery anymore. I'm going to call it the Yamazaki Whiskey Factory. And initially, the people of Yamazaki, which sits halfway between Osaka and Kyoto, were very confused. And they called this factory a grain monster because they watched cartloads of grain go in every day and nothing ever came out. You have to think about the time it takes to make whiskey. And they just didn't understand or know what was going on. They just watched grain after grain be eaten up by this factory, sitting next to a beautiful bamboo forest at the point where three rivers converge. Think about transport in the early 1900s. Rivers would have been very important, not only to transport on top, but the land next to the river would be the most efficient to travel on. Yamazaki was a transport hub at that time. And it's the scene of many ferocious battles as different shoguns and overlords would meet at this focal point and engage in some ferocious combat. The rivers are also at different temperatures. Therefore, you get a lot of fog there, a lot of different ambient temperatures, which aids greatly in the maturation process. The final nail in the coffin, nail in the coffin. The final piece of the thread, the water source there is incredible. Now, every distillery will tell you about their incredible water source, but this is where tea ceremony was founded in Japan. Now, we're not here to talk about Yamazaki, but we can't explain Hibiki without explaining the first distillery. And the first whiskey that was made from that distillery, um, Takasuru was employed as the engineer to help build the distillery. And together, Takasuru and Tori produced a whiskey. It was a very young peated malt known as Shurofudo. And Shurofudo was a spectacular failure for the Suntory Corporation. And at that point, Lassataka was no longer responsible for whiskey making with the Suntory Corporation. He saw out almost nine and a half years of a 10-year contract, and then he will go on to found Nika. Now, I want to be clear. I think he will become an incredible whiskey maker. He was inspired by the Morn and Road Distillery in Scotland, where he eventually found training, both of which at that time were making incredibly peated malts. And if you look at the Uichi Distillery, he will find in later life with the Nika company and find a Uichi 15-year-old, for me, that is the clearest association with the mindset on who he is as a whiskey maker. He will learn to become great. You don't go to Scotland and marry a Scottish woman and have that kind of a life goal. That is a real, we call it Yadami in Japan. It's having a goal and having the guts and the fortitude to pursue that goal no matter the odds. Imagine the odds that he went through and consider the whiskey that he produced. However, he did not achieve greatness as a whiskey maker with Suntory. He did it with Nika. He did, however, create a legacy of the Yamazaki distillery. He was the engineer. Tori was then left with a distillery, the debt, and the whole weight of getting the first successful whiskey to a Japanese audience. And Tori was a businessman. He didn't look at Scotland from the engineer's point of view. He looked at the total business. And at that time, there were over 100 distilleries in Scotland. And who were they selling whiskey to?
0: Japanese?
1: No. They were selling whiskey to each other via blenders and brokers. None of you were drinking single malt Scotch whiskey at that time. Now, single malt scotch whiskey existed, but it was never defined as a category and marketed as such until the 1980s. Remember that date. Because that's where you start seeing age statements and single malt in a bottle. Glenfiddich being the first distillery that I can think of to do it. Glenfiddich following very closely after. Now, Tory was looking at the business angle. And the business was, every one of you made whiskey, and you sold it to the Abramson Company. I better learn to say that last name right. (laughs) Uh, Inside joke, sorry. It's, yeah. They sold it to Mr. Abramson. Okay? And he blended them together, like Mr. Walker, and Mr. Drewers and Mr. Shevis and Mr. Teacher, and he put his name on the bottle, and he said, here's a consistent product. Now, blending... (coughs) has become somewhat dirty word in the US. Partly because Scottish people have been coming and pouring honey in your ears and implying that single malt was better than blend. That happened in the 80s when the blenders in Scotland went through a very bleak time. And they turned to the single malt producers, Andrew Abramson and son, turned to you and said, we don't need any other whiskey, we're good. The industry's in a massive downturn. And what did you do? You threw on kilts and you travel the world, and you built a business for your own whiskey by calling it single malt, by giving it a new definition. And I'm part of that story. I'm a big part of coming and pouring honey in your ear and asking you to love Beaumont. 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 I love Beaumont. Beaumont. I do. It's great.
2: How did
0: that happen? I was drinking oysters downtown in Beaumont, and then we'd shoot the oyster and put the Beaumont in. Great. That's a good... That, it was delicious. Should you should tell me about that sometime. I will. i uh, hear yeah. about it. I think I, you might have been there.
1: So <laughs> we find ourselves in this place where Tory is looking at the total business of Scotland, not just how to make. He's looking at how whiskey sold. So to sell whiskey, you need to have somebody to buy. And Tory's next thing was to tap into the Japanese palate, to start looking at who the Japanese were and what they liked from a flavor point of view. And the DNA of any some Tory whiskey is defined now by three words. Subtle complex, refined. We do this by blending. And we blend by seeking perfection in every single ingredient that goes into the blend. Ladies and gentlemen, the glass on the top left hand of your tasting mat is the base whiskey for Hibiki Harmony. Please, your permission is granted to grab the glass, you hesitant, calm, any questions to this point? That was a very uh, aggressive overlook at Japanese whiskey. And we did it in 23 minutes, which is a record for me. Any questions?
0: So you can say base whiskey, that means that's a major percentage of what's in the bottle.
1: You can. But there is a perception, and correct me if I'm, I'm mistaken, that when we talk about blending in Scotland, we're looking at hiding something. Now, I accept there's distilleries and, or, or companies now... That are moving the conversation around Scottish Blend forward. In fact, all the blenders are reinvigorated with marketing dollars and are traveling to have, they're attempting to have a more positive conversation around the category rather than just accept that they're the biggest and sitting back on that. You're absolutely right. This is going to be, I, I'm not able to tell you the exact percentage of each of these whiskies, but it is safe to assume that generally the green whiskey would be the base and would be close to 50% of the base. I can't tell you to fact that's the amount. I want you to pay particular attention to the mouthfeel of this liquid, and the silkiness that comes through. It's sweet, and it's deeply sweet, but it's also incredibly silky and in light. Pedro, It's like the, for me, it's like the spine of the whole thing. It's
0: like, it's, it's what holds everything together. It's light, but it's, it's got structure to it. And, and check out the mouthfeel. Like, see how it's specific in the way that it, it draws across your tongue. You know, I mean, think one of the things that I noticed in the Japanese whiskey making process that was very different was that the beer that they use, when they, when they pour from the, the mash tons into the stills, it's, it's like it's clear. It's like the beer's really, really super clean. Now, a lot of places like in America, we, we dump like a slurry into the stills, and they don't do that in Japan. Can what they I, dump in the stills? Is like really? It looks
1: really clear. I mean,
0: it's cloudy, but not solids.
1: Yes. The why on this is whiskey is an economic transaction. Okay, any whiskey in the world, you start off with a grain. You want to extract maximum yield of sugar from that grain because you want to then feed that grain to yeast. Stage two, fermentation, the consumption of sugar by yeast, the production of alcohol. Beer, wort, whatever we want to, whatever the term we want to call it wash it's sugar being consumed by yeast stage three would be distillation stage four would be maturation where was i going i got lost we're the mash tun yeah in scotland it's very typical to provide a lot of agitation to the mash tun while so you've taken the grain let's say it's barley in this case you've ground it up a little bit you've already malted it so you've converted the uh, yeast uh, sorry not the yeast You've converted the starches into soluble sugars. You're then going to flush that with hot water. Now if you agitate the whole process, you're gonna get more sugar coming through. But it's gonna be cloudy and weighty. And what Pedro noticed when he was at the distillery with me was he noticed particularly that this was a clear liquid that was coming through. And the production team explained very efficiently, we don't agitate, we want a clear sweet wort. So you may get more sugar but you're going to get different kinds of sugar by creating an agitation. This is where the Japanese mindset is different to the Scots. Scottish whiskey is first and foremost about tradition, and second, about economics. It's an economic imperative to get as much sugar as we can out of this grain, because we need to make the liquid, we've got to be efficient. Whereas at Suntory, they're going, what is the sweetest, best liquid that we can get? So we should clarify for the rest of the group, Carrie, this whiskey that you're trying has made it the cheetah Distillery. story. This is not a single malt distillery. It was built in 1972. It wasn't built by Tori himself. It was built by his son. And we're not here today to talk about Shinjiro Tori's legacy as much as we're here to talk about Kenzo Saji's legacy. His son was the gentleman that moved the whole business forward. Yamazaki was built by Tori. The first whiskey from it was Kakobin. It was successful. Mm -hmm. And that was the foundation stone of what Suntory will be about. But Kenzo Saji built Chita in 1972, and he go on to build Hakushu Distillery, and he is the architect of the whisky we're here to celebrate tonight, Hibiki. Hibiki being launched in 1989 to celebrate the 90th anniversary of Suntory. So we are talking about a corn whisky, but it does use barley. Now as you know, it, you have to use enzymes to convert the sugar in corn to make them soluble, generally. But barley has those enzymes naturally, So by using a large portion of barley, it is more expensive, but it is going to produce a purer, a more traditional conversion. So this whiskey is made from corn with a lot of barley. The barley is not there, though, for sugar. It's there for enzyme conversion. And if any of you want to see this in practice, there is an easy example to find in Colorado. Go to the Leopold Brothers Distillery and look at their floor maltings. They don't make a malted barley anything but they're malting tons of barley every day. And the malting doesn't look like the maltings I know in Japan and Scotland, and I don't know any maltings in Japan because I've never seen one because we do our malting in Scotland, so I apologize. It's malting for enzymes. It's not malting for sugar. In Scotland, convert the barley to get the most sugar. At Leopold Brothers, convert the barley to get the most enzymes, and the same can be said for the cheetah distillery. Mm -hmm. It's a big machine. It's not sexy. It's not that rolling hills and stills. It's in the port town of Nagoya, but it's a big machine that makes three styles of whiskey. If I could have a small indulgement, would you stand, please, sir? You, sir, and you, sir, and you, sir. Please. Stand with Pedro. Okay. These four gentlemen are the column stills that exist at the Chita Distillery. And this liquid that you're tasting, the base of Hibiki, Pedro, get out of there. <laughs> The base of Hibiki is made by doing a four-column distillate. Now, at Yamazaki, we vary every stage of production, from grain to fermentation to distillation to maturation. That's how we create how many styles and varieties we get from that distillery. But at Cheetah, we do it by the number of columns. Not in sequence, but used in in, in symmetry together. The liquid you're trying, the clean, light-style Hibiki, is done through a four-column distillate. Sir, please leave the group. The whiskey that is the base of Kakobin, the most popular Suntory whiskey, the most popular Japanese whiskey, the most popular whiskey in Japan, is done through a three-column distillation. Sir, please leave us. And as you look here and you see our little highball tower that's selling you a Suntory Toki highball, the base grain of Toki is made through a, three, a two-column distillate. So we have four giving us clean Three giving is medium, and two giving is heavy. Therefore, you've got a grain whiskey that can make different styles. Now, we have a lot more blended whiskies in Japan, Old, Royal, Reserve. The list goes on, Tories. If we only had one style of grain whiskey, everything would start to look very, very similar. And our whole thing is about diversity of production. So what you're tasting tonight, and it's never tasted in this form, is Cheetah Clean Style. If you were to get a bottle of Cheetah from duty Free or Japan right now, it would be a marriage of clean, medium, and heavy, and it would use casks that are American, Spanish, and French Bordeaux wine, all blended together. So it's impossible to purchase this liquid in this form. Thank you very much, Stills. Cheers. How are we doing for time? Do I have five minutes to finish it? Yeah! Okay. No, we, yeah, um, okay. Oh, no, we've got tons of time. Yeah, we got you've we got 11 tons of, I've got. No, I've got this. I've totally got this. Okay. So Johnny, sir. So in
2: that example, uh, four distillation
0: process, three and two, is that the same grain? Yes. Yeah. Well, we,
1: we tweak the, the ratio of corn to barley just a touch, but we don't share that information. There's just a little bit more barley when you get into the heavy versus okay. the light. Any other questions on cheetah? It's a fascinating whiskey for me. I, and it's the one, like, everyone's heard of Yamazaki, but nobody's, nobody's tasted the cheetah. Yeah, there's
2: just
1: the, proof the proof on all these samples are 51. Or not the proof. You, you're with me, though. The ABV. Okay. Thank you. Sir?
0: So you said that the, when if you go to Japan and a bottle, you said it's a mix.
1: So we it's have it's a... So do you remember I said that this distillery is... This is a bottle... And then the distillery is like, I, 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 the distillery is the name, but I like factory because of the diversity of all the things. Everything that's made of Yamazaki doesn't go into this. For instance, we, we mature Yamazaki in a Bordeaux wine cask. Yeah, it right. does not go in here. Okay. It goes into Yamazaki non-age statement, which is only sold in Japan or London, okay? But the cheetah, <laughs> we make three different whiskies and we use three different casks to mature it in. And if you buy cheetah in a bottle that says the cheetah single grain... That's what you're buying. You won't be able to buy it in the U.S., but some of you travel or see things on the Internet. I want to be clear that you, you get what it is. Any further questions? The, sir, is he touching your knee, or are you, are you being bothered by that?
0: No, it's a little rough, but if we got
1: it. Okay. okay. Just watch those beers. Don't get stuck together. Okay? Absolutely. <laughs> All right.
0: No
1: problem. Velcro shoes is the danger. <laughs> okay. Whiskey number two on the top center. This is where we start going into the malt whiskies. This is a single malt from the Yamazaki Distillery, and it's focusing on three different oaks. Now, we use three species of oak, and we use three cask sizes. And together, that produces five different casks. So focusing on American oak, Quercus Alba, you're very familiar with bourbon barrels. Bourbon maker uses them, sells them. We use them to mature whiskey. Depending on the shipping cost versus the reassembly cost casks have traditionally been shipped whole or in staves So when shipping costs are relatively low Then you will ship whole barrels when shipping costs are high You will ship staves and pay Coopers to reassemble those barrels when that has happened We don't reassemble bourbon barrels. We make what's called hogsheads, which are larger versions So you're changing the surface to wood ratio Okay so barrel one is a bourbon barrel. Barrel two is a hogshead. The third American oak cask is called a puncher. It's much bigger than either of the other two, and it's never been used to make any other spirit before. It's effectively the virgin oak that it would be used in the bourbon industry. We don't see this used in the scotch industry, except in very rare occasions. I can think of Auchentoshan and Glengarry both doing a virgin oak expression. And we notice from those whiskies very similar characteristics that we get to the bourbon, which leads me to believe it's got nothing to do with the bourbon and everything to do with the tannic compounds in the oak as being the principal source of flavor. So what I'm saying to you is I believe the first liquid that held in a cask takes a layer of tannic flavor away and gives you the second layer to be infused into any subsequent spirit or third or fourth. Think of it like tea in infusions. I'm not saying the bourbon character, the residual won't have a subtle impact, but it's more important to me the tannic flavors in the cask and what you're getting with a bourbon barrel when you make bourbon is a marriage between the sweetness of the corn and the raw robust tannic flavor on that first fill. What you're seeing with the scotch use of that barrel, which effectively is the barrel second time, is the barley balancing with the second round of tannic flavor. So the liquid you have to confirm is a bourbon barrel finished, is a hogshead finished, and a puncheon Effectively, a virgin oak cask on a bigger size. You're balancing the bigger size, less surface-to-wood ratio with the richer tannic compounds. That's all blended together in this American oak Yamazaki. Now, that Yamazaki is the backbone from the malt perspective. Where does it stimulate the palate? Now, when people say the end, I often think you've just drank alcohol. It's 51%, and you're getting that, like, burn on the alcohol. I want you all to take a tiny sip, tiny sip. I want you to imagine trying to sip the least amount that you can. And I want you to give it the good old Kentucky chew. I don't want you to swallow it. I want it to be, press it up, press it down, roll it around. Now your natural saliva will dilute the whiskey, make it palatable for you. And then it should just melt away. Now think of your tongue and think of the last time you had a nerve twitching somewhere randomly in your body. Where is that happening across your palate? Where is there a flutter or a vibration? Front. front. Now, this isn't exact science because we're all biologically different, but you think the front. I had four nods down here. Generally, American oak will stimulate the front of the palate. It tends to be where you get sweet, then salt, and towards the back, you get bitter. Take whiskey number three. Pause for a second to appreciate the dark color of it. And do the same thing. Take the tiniest sip that you can. Pedro, what do you think of this one?
0: It's classic heavy sherry, but it's it's balanced with that uh, that that structure that Japanese whiskey has, where it, it doesn't. It's not it's not syrupy on the palate. You get the the notes from sherry that you love, which are Red fruit and rich roasted nuts, but it doesn't—it doesn't feel like you're like having cough syrup on the finish. It still retains that lightness on the back, you know. So you get the sherry, and it hits the front of your palate. It's fruity, it's rich, but it's not oily and syrupy on the finish. So yeah, we're... all these are unanimously very clean. They kind of like almost dry.
1: I want you to be—I um, want you to understand—if somebody writes sherry cask on a barrel, then that barrel had sherry in it at some time. It doesn't tell you the oak species. This is a Quercus robur, oak, and that oak is got a wider cell structure. It's red oak as opposed to white oak, and it has very different tannic compounds in and it reacts differently. Take a tiny sip as a group, all of you, the tiniest sip that you can. On number three. On oh, number three. And roll it around the palate. Same exercise you did with number two. Where does it hit you? Middle, Middle, back. Middle back sides. Bitter tends to be to the back because if you ingest poison, it gives you the maximum opportunity to expel it before you kill yourself. And most natural poisons are incredibly bitter. Quercus rober, Spanish oak, tends to get me towards the back of the palate, which is a marked contrast. If somebody gives you a sherry cask, and they've said it's a sherry cask, and it all is front palate, then what you're tasting is an American oak barrel that's been seasoned with sherry, which is very different than the Spanish version because of the tannic compounds inherent in Spanish oak versus American. These barrels are 10 times the cost of the average bourbon barrel. The wood is rare. The yield of usable wood for casks is less because as you know, American trees go tall and straight and quite close together, so there's long trunk. What that does to the cell structure is make the cell small and it's densely packed because the trees are growing tall, straight and quick. It's the best building material by far of any oak, but the Spanish oak plants itself in the ground, grows alone, and when the wind blows off the Atlantic Ocean, it rolls. And what does that do to the cell structure? The branches provide ballast and allow the tree to sway and move and withstand the wind, but the cell structure stretches and gets longer. As well as the compounds being different, the delivery system is different between these two barrels. You don't need to char these barrels to break open those compounds, but you do need to toast them as part of the shaping process of staves, okay? Front palate, back palate. Whiskey number three, the bottom left-hand corner. This is where hibiki gets, pardon this expression, this is where the hibikiness comes in. We've been making whiskey from 1923. We've made many whiskeys. The business has progressed, and we've learned a great many things. But after the Second World War, barrels were not widely available for our distillery. And we started filling in native species of oak called Quercus Mongolica. We did this because we couldn't receive adequate supply of American or Spanish oak. And immediately, these barrels didn't perform the way we expected the other kinds to. Because from a cell structure point of view... The oak is very different. In fact, before we even get to the cell structure, Pedro, do you ski? Yeah. Okay. Well, show me, moving. show me your best ski stance, just there. Ski stance would be like. Oh, okay. Perfect. Man. Perfect. No. <laughs> get back in your ski stance. All right. Okay, Pedro. I want you to. I want you to focus.
0: Can't hear you, man. It's Stop. windy out here. No.
1: Stop. Focus. P- ski stance. All Stop right. moving. <laughs> now, st- still, still, freeze. Turn your knees to the right. They are Turn, the Turn them right. all the way to the right. Okay. Get your feet together. Get that foot back. All right, all right, here we go. I'm good. foot by there, now, there. Okay, now turn your hips to the right. Hips to your right, hips, the knees to the right, sorry, knees to the right, hips to the left, sorry. Right. Okay, right. now turn your shoulders to the right. And bend forward at the waist, and tilt your head back, and round.
2: <laughs>
1: now hold that, hold that still. Everybody take a photo, everybody take a photo. <laughs> Everyone take that photo. The facial it's going to get better. If you wait to take the photo, the facial expression will get more painful. Now, Pedro is an actor as his principal source of passion. And he is an incredibly committed actor. He will hold this character longer than any one of you would consider doing this. I, I
0: actually played the elephant man in it's, high school. It's,
1: it's, it's hurting him right now. But this is how Misenara oak trees grow. They grow and bend and twist and branches come off in different directions. So what this means is the wood is incredibly prone to splitting when it's shaped into casks. The the cask size is punching, the same as the one we explained from the American cask. So it's a big barrel, but the wood is incredibly difficult to manage. And what we first found was we didn't like these barrels because there's nothing hated more than a distillery than the leaky cask. They don't want that. It wasn't until much later that they found that the flavor that was coming from these barrels was incredible. And just to give Pedro one final round, if you would all take a tiny sip of this Mizunara Japanese oak cask and toast Pedro's commitment to this whiskey society. Pedro, end scene.
0: I'm not in edible. Tell them about the liquids.
1: Uh, uh, yes. remember wasn't clear. Quercus mongolica, Japanese Mizunara oak. This is the liquid that gives hibiki its hibikiness.
0: It's also really not a good barrel-making whiskey, so they, they can't put a whole lot of whiskey in Mizunara oh. barrels. Not only is it not a sourceable wood, uh, it's very much a protected species of oak in Japan, but the it just is cantankerous to make barrels with. So, they can only age a very limited good. amount of whiskey in the Mizunara. So, the Mizunara is going to give you some peppery notes. I get like a sandalwood thing going on there. Uh, and then you'll notice on the finish, I think it's got there's some chocolate that comes out of there as well. But, like, it's a spicy, incense kind of wood. It's very different kind of uh, oak than, than the American or the European oak, for of course, sure.
1: It's unlike anything else I've ever tasted from a cask. This flavor combination doesn't exist from any other species. And I want to, has anyone, t- everyone taken a sip? I want you to pause. I want you to think of something unrelated to whiskey, something that means a lot to you, um, something that happened to you this week, a person or a place that means the absolute most to you in the world. Has everybody got that in their mind's eye? Okay, I was just distracting you. I want you to go back to your palate. Can you still taste that whiskey? Yes. Yes. It's still building in flavor. Now, ignoring the cheetah that we tried at the beginning, you've tried three whiskies, all of which are made at the Yamazaki distillery, all of which are single malts. An American, a Spanish, and a Japanese. They all exist in this. An American oak is the principal oak in a Yamazaki 12. Then they're using a small amount of... Spanish and a small amount of Japanese. Now what that does is it makes this single malt flutter across the palate from the sweet American oak in the beginning to the base and the back finish of the Spanish oak or back palate and then the finish comes from the Japanese and it goes on and on and on and the whiskies that go into that liquid here only need to each be at least 12 years old. The whiskies that you're tasting right now are between 8 and 12, around 20, and between 16 and 17 years old. So the Yamazakis that go into Hibiki Harmony, in theory, tend to be older than the Yamazaki whiskies that go into Yamazaki 12-year-old. And the role of the whiskies is really similar to Pedro described a tree. I like to think of a pyramid. We have a grain base. The first malt, the American oak, is the the key volume malt, it's the base malt. Then you've got these intense key malts, these bold flavors coming through from the American and the Japanese, sorry, from the Spanish and the Japanese oak. You see how we're building the pyramid? For Pedro building the tree. Is it the same whiskey that's
0: going in the different barrels?
1: I'm sorry, forgive me. At Yamazaki, I, I wasn't clear. We're only making single malt whiskey at Yamazaki. We do it using one style of malt. We then use two different ways of fermentation. It's just as simple as we change the tank, wooden tanks and steel. We then have seven styles of distillate made from eight pairs of copper pot still. The seven versus the eight is because two pairs are identical in size and shape, whereas every other is a different structure. Therefore, you're getting a different style of liquid. So one grain, all malted barley, two fermentations, seven distillations, and five casks. Gives Yamazaki the potential to make 70 whiskies. Now, we're not tasting 70 whiskies right now, and even the ones where we're tasting a single whiskey, we're tasting different expressions of oak. And I can't give you... A lot of people want more specific and more line of sight. You've got three different malts in the same distillery. The focus is the different species of oak. These samples are all reduced to 51 ABV for this class because it's not about you tasting a finished product and we don't consider any of these to be finished whiskies it's about you tasting different distilleries different flavor compounds different ingredients and the blender doesn't think about the age or how old or I'm going to blend this with that they're looking to blend flavor we have a we have a slide that we use for an education class more like st- studio kind of classroom setup And they just display by flavor. They put an array of different colored whiskey samples all over the slide. And they name them specific to the flavor. And that's how the blenders think. Because they're building flavor. They're like a chef. The distillery manager is the farmer. His job is to make the highest quality ingredients for the chef. The blender then builds something more than the sum of the parts. The fifth whiskey on your tasting mat is not Yamazaki or a cheetah. It comes from the Hakushu distillery in the mountains, southern Alps of Japan, we're talking white granite rock, smothered in pine forest. Now, Hakushu's way of diversifying is to use two types of barley, peated and non-peated. So when you drink Hakushu 12, this was made from a whiskey that was a peated barley, fully matured, blended with another whiskey that was a heavily peated, fully matured. They only use wooden fermentation, Hakushu now. They have seven styles of distillation or go in through copper pot still, and they use four oak casks. So in theory, this distillery can produce 56 whiskeys. The difference between Scotch whiskey and Japanese whiskey is mindset. I've said already, Scotland is driven by heritage and economics. At Suntory, we are driven by innovation, and they will not spare any amount of money to pursue perfection. We don't ever believe we will find perfection, but we are pursuing perfection by making every single ingredient in this blend the best it can be. The role of this whiskey, from a volume point of view, it's at the top of the tree or the top of the pyramid. It's the tiniest amount. This is a smoke bomb that you should not taste in the finished blend. But like the correct amount of seasoning in cooking, this is critical to maximizing the flavor. This is a lightning bolt between here and cheetah across all of those flavorful Yamazaki whiskies.
0: And take note of how this smoke is very different. This is not the same kind of peatiness that you get from Laphroaig or from Ardbeg. If if you notice, it's 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 a lighter smoke, and there's a floral quality in it as well. So you're getting it's this like hammy smokiness, but there's almost like this pink flowers behind it. You know, it's it's a uh, it's like bubble gum and and hickory smoked ham. You know, it's 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 way different than like a,
1: a super Isla, Pete, you know? So if I can take that deeper into the environment, Isla, as you know, is a small, majestic island that is known for mostly smoky whiskey, but all maritime-flavored. You've got a smoky whiskey here that's, that's, that's a part of a Hakashi 12-year-old, but this itself is the heaviest PD version that we do, and it doesn't have the maritime influence. Instead, it replaces that with a pine forest that covers this whole mountain... When you walk into the warehouse at Hakashi Distillery, you're actually entering on the top floor. If you think about the seasonality in Japan, it's a seasonality that would be more comparable to the weather pattern in Kentucky, where they talk about polar extremes of hot and cold. In Kentucky, they use a warehousing system to maximize the hot and the cold, to quickly mature versus that, that bourbon uh, mash bill. In Scotland, we want the slow cooker approach. So you have an environment in Japan closer to Kentucky, but you have a mindset inspired by Scotch. The solution here is further innovation, but it's natural. By building the warehousing down into the base, the ground beneath this mountain, you mean the top floor is below the tree canopy of pine forest. And how many of you on the hottest day in LA have gone for a walk in a canyon and found some trees and below that tree, There are pockets of damper air, a relief from the oppressive heat. Hakushoos used the tree canopy and sinking the warehousing to reduce the excessive evaporation. Further, the elevation means that they have a lighter style whiskey anyway. This is some of the lightest water used in any whiskey. It's the number one selling bottled water in Japan coming from the same source. And and to go back to Pedro's earlier point. You're trading the maritime of Isla and the weight that you get. Isla stills tend to be short and heavy. The liquids tend to be heavy to stand up to that maritime environment. This is lighter. It's silky. Even though this is smoky, it's silky by comparison. And I think it's
0: important throughout this entire tasting to take note of texture too. This so one thing we underestimate about our own palates is our ability to detect texture. You know, there's a structure to all whiskeys, so there's flavors. But how do they build across your palate from the beginning, middle, and end, how how do they structure themselves across your tongue? That's what's different about Japanese whiskey to me, is that there's an intricacy to the way that they're structured. They they're not, they're not sloppy at all. They, They don't just like hit the back of your palate with a big oily note that just reaches down into your throat. These are like very structured and specific about the way they arc through your you know, through your experience. They, they hold up very, very delicately. Thank you.
1: I'd like to thank you all for your attention. I would like to pay a special toast to our blenders who are the architects of this class. I'm given a great deal of freedom to, to go with it, but the foundation is in the liquids that we've been given to enjoy today. I would ask you to pause and consider the five of them for a moment and then if you wouldn't mind think about the one that stood out for you and please whiskey number six is hibiki japanese harmony cheers cheers Cheers. Cheers. we actually have a a slightly different toast at santori okay the appropriate toast at santori given that we clarified you were taught tonight by a scotsman who was taught japanese by another scotsman and scotch by a Japanese guy who moved to Southern California and married a girl from Orange County. (laughs) You're now gonna be taught that the Suntory toast, the appropriate one is actually skull. Suntory studied the art of beer making in Scandinavia, and as such, our company cheer, and I'd like to raise (laughs) this cheer to everybody back in Japan. Ladies and gentlemen, skull. 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 Skull.
2: Skull. Skull. Skull.
1: No. Wow. What was the DNA of a Japanese whiskey from Santori? Subtle, complex, refined. Hopefully this meets with your approval and your expectations.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember.